For those of us living in the States, September signals the beginning of a new school year and new things to learn and discover. But if you were anything like me, I absolutely dreaded this time of year. And even that now, although I'm years removed from school, if I go to a store and see the back to school stuff out, I feel this pit inside of my stomach. Because in school, being a good student or bad student is completely dependent on performance. And let's just say my performance in school wasn't particularly strong. You know, the teacher doesn't care how hard you tried and how you did your best for an exam if you got all the multiple choice questions wrong. For those of us starting college or university right now, when you applied for your school, they don't care that you had to move to a new state in 10th grade and had to adjust to a new, dis new school district and that it was a really hard time for you. And I know that because I told Northeastern University that in my college university when I had applied and I still got rejected so quickly. It felt like they paid extra for overnight shipping to mail me my rejection letter to tell me to stop even getting ideas. Even in high school here, I remember the pain of a particular 10th grade pre-calculus class. It was the time of year when the teacher recommends what math class you should take next year. So during one of the classes, one by one, the teacher would call you up and say, hey, I'm placing you in blank class. And class, in the class that we were all hoping to take and get into was advanced placement calculus class next year, which was the highest class you could take. So one by one, every single person in the class, uh, in the class would get called up and we would all quiet down so we could hear what the teacher said. And amazingly, every person, every one of my friends that got called up was recommended for the advanced class. And we would give that person a nod of approval as they took their seat. And I happened to be the final person in my, in my class to get called up for my teacher. And I was certain she would recommend me for the advanced placement class. How could I be the only one not to make it? So I confidently strut over to her desk and without hesitation, she says, John, I cannot recommend you for the advanced placement class next year. You don't meet the standards necessary to take a class like that. So in shock, I got up. And the room is silent as I walk back to my seat. And all of my friends, they're looking down at their desks to avoid making eye contact with me. And so we're taught at a young age that for students, acceptance is dependent on your good performance. But it also trickles down into other areas of life as well. Getting a new job is often dependent on a resume of good professional performance. Your ability to buy a car or home is dependent on a good credit score, a track record of good financial performance. Today marks the beginning of a new ministry here, year here at Grace Chapel. And this year we're focusing on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that word for disciple literally just means a student or a learner. And this year we're inviting you into an intentional journey of discipleship with Jesus, where you learn and grow from him this year. But I think in some ways, I think churches have unknowingly or sometimes mistakenly communicated a similar idea that we've received as young students. That Jesus only wants to help or that he only cares for people with a proven track record of good performance. That the church is only for people who have proved for some time now that they are good enough to be accepted as a student of Jesus. That your past and present circumstances might prevent you from being accepted by God. But today we're going to learn that Jesus is different from any other institution that exists. We're going to see that today the invitation to a relationship with Jesus 
is not reserved for people who show potential. It's not reserved for the faithful. It's not reserved for the holy. What distinguishes Jesus and the church from most other institutions, and the reason Jesus is worth learning from, is that the invitation to be a disciple, a student, or a learner of Jesus is knowingly extended to imperfect people. Let's see how Jesus knowingly extends this invitation to imperfect people in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There are two ways in which we can see Jesus knowingly extend this invitation to imperfect people. The first way we see this is by noting the number of people we see in these verses. This scene is a pivotal moment in the story of Jesus. It's supposed to be a beautiful scene that wraps up the earthly life of Jesus. He had died and was buried and rose again. And he was now departing to go back into heaven. But before he does that, Jesus gathers his disciples to impart onto them his last words. That's why some people think that these words are the most important words that Jesus has ever said. And it's even given a name, the Great Commission. But curiously, at this vital scene of Jesus' last moments on earth, look at how many disciples are present. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Why did Matthew, the writer of this book, even mention that number? He could have just said the disciples went to Galilee. But instead, he specifically mentions that there were only 11 disciples that went to Galilee that day. And that's because during this time period, numbers were incredibly meaningful. And the number 12 is the number of perfection. In the Bible, we even see there are 12 tribes of Israel. The high priest's breastplate had 12 stones. And Jesus had 12 disciples, not 11. 11 is not a number of perfection. If anything, it's a number of imperfection because it's one shy of that perfect number. And so we see that the original 12 disciples of Jesus didn't make it to the scene. And why is that? Because if you remember, or, or maybe if you're learning for the first time, that 12th disciple Judas, once a student of Jesus, completely betrayed him and sold him off to his death. That isn't something that Jesus wants other people to be reminded of, does he? That's pretty embarrassing for him, that he invested so much time into someone who abandoned him. So in some ways, it seems a little odd that Matthew, who was a disciple himself, would make it a point that the readers would know that only 11 disciples were there that day. It's kind of like this. Uh, one time when I was in youth group, my brother was the pastor, and we had finished this overnight camp in New Hampshire. You know, so much fun, and it ended, and we all got on a school bus to get home. And my brother starts counting off every person, you know, like you normally would. One, two, three, four. Okay, 48. We're good to go. So we departed from that place um, to go back, all the way back to Massachusetts. Ten minutes into the drive, my brother gets a phone call from one of the student's parents. And she goes, where's my daughter? And my brother's like, oh, no, we're all on the bus. We're on our way back. And the mom responds, 
No, she's not. So my brother starts frantically looking for us on the bus and starts counting the number of students again. And wouldn't you know it, the number this time turns up 47. One short of the number of students we had brought up to the camp. And she is nowhere to be seen on the bus. So we turn the bus around back to the camp. And as we pull back into the campgrounds, there she is standing with this furious look on her face, knowing that we all just completely forgot about her. No one looks back at that day and says, hey, you know, at least you got 47 out of the 48 students back on the bus. No, that one person being left behind was a sign of failure, that my brother didn't do what he was supposed to do. You see, I think Matthew really accentuated that number that only 11 disciples made it that day to make the point that for Jesus, this could have been seen as a failure in many ways. But for Jesus, this wasn't a character flaw. It was a feature of the kind of person that Jesus was. Jesus spent time teaching and caring for someone who he knew was going to betray him. And knowing that he would still be, be, be betrayed, Jesus invited Judas into his life and walked with him and did life with him. The rest of the disciples we know weren't these great outstanding citizens either. But none of those things mattered. Jesus opened his, opened his arms and knowingly invited them into his life. The second way we know that Jesus knowingly extends this invitation to imperfect people is because in verse 17, it says that these disciples, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Can you imagine that? These disciples who had just spent several years learning from this great wise rabbi in Jesus, and then they actually just saw their teacher die on the cross and miraculously rise from the dead three days later, just as he said he would do. They doubted him. Thomas, one of the disciples, if you remember, was actually so skeptical that Jesus actually rose from the dead that he didn't believe uh, in this fact until he was able to physically touch the hands where the nails pierced through his hands. And so Jesus lets him do just that. But even after all that, when they go to meet Jesus for one last time, the disciples are worshiping him, but they are also doubting him. Actually, although it says here that only some doubted, in the original language, it's actually unclear if it's just some that doubted. It could just as easily be translated as the disciples were all worshiping, but simultaneously all doubting. They were doubting their own teacher, whom they've seen die and rise again from the dead. Who wants to teach students or have relationships with people who doubt them? I don't think many of us would do that. But Jesus is different because he welcomes that. Have you ever been in a class where the students constantly challenge and doubt what the teacher has to say? So I've been in a, a couple of those kinds of classes uh, before when I was a first year in college. It's, you know, it's usually one of those classes where you're in a big auditorium style seating and the professor is teaching a general requirement class that everyone is required to take. And I remember being in a history one-on-one -on -one class and the teacher would say something like, so this event had a devastating impact on 1.5 million people. And all the time there's always this one eager student who would say something like, actually professor, you're wrong. The textbook actually says it's only impacted 1.48 million people, so you're not correct. Who enjoys being doubted or challenged in that kind of way? 
Why would anyone knowingly spend time with people like that? But here we see in this story, Jesus knowingly inviting students who would later come to doubt him. He knew Thomas would doubt him. He knew that Peter would doubt him. He knew that these disciples, after all he's done, would doubt him. But Jesus invites those doubting people and does life with them. Doubts do not discredit you from a relationship with Jesus. So why learn from Jesus this year? Why become a student or a disciple of Jesus? And why are we inviting you into this journey? Well, because like any good teacher, when, when we learn from him, we become like him. And when we become like him, we become the embodiment of this kind of love that doesn't hold weaknesses or shortcoming against others, but rather welcomes it. The church is supposed to be a place where it is inconsequential what your past or even present circumstances look like because Jesus doesn't discredit people based on anyone's history. That's why Jesus is so amazing and worthy of getting to know. He invites all of us who doubt, who are lost, who are hurting, who are, who are broken, those who don't feel like they're the best Christians or even those who don't consider themselves Christians. Jesus invites all of us to a place of growing and learning together. The truly amazing thing about Jesus is that during this time period, um, students would actually have to go out and seek out a teacher and ask that person to teach them. But Jesus completely reverses that trend in scripture and instead he seeks out and finds these imperfect disciples to invite into his own life. And so this year we are inviting all of you who are watching right now to join us on a journey in intentionally learning and growing together in this beautiful person in God, Jesus Christ. And I'm inviting you to learn from Jesus, the one who actually gives us, all of us, a seat at the table. And so how can we grow together in our discipleship journey this year? Well, I'm glad you asked. So this summer, um, we've been hard at work preparing opportunities to grow together here at Grace Chapel. And we've identified three aspects to the discipleship journey. Life with God, life with others, and life that's good for the good of the world. The journey of discipleship includes all three of these aspects, but it looks different in different seasons of our life. And so we wanted to provide an easy way to access for yourself where you feel like you might be and where you feel like you might want to go this year. And to help with that, we've created a discipleship planning tool for your journey of discipleship. It's a quick questionnaire that you'll be able to fill out, and then you'll get an email with information about the different opportunities that we have for you these next few months. The link for that is going to be made available this week in our Facebook group. So make sure to join our Facebook group if you haven't in the link below. Or you can actually reach out to me at jkim at grace.org and I can send that link over to you later this week. And we'll also make sure to have that link ready for you by next Sunday's service. But I want to give you a preview of what that means for our online campus. Because as I've been praying and thinking about our online campus this year, I feel like God has given me a heart for us to grow holistically and not just growing in our knowledge of the Bible. So for example, those that are willing to take a step in learning about Jesus amidst your doubts or questions, you can join a virtual Alpha group this year starting in mid-October where you can ask any and every question or doubt or concern that you may have had about Jesus, the church, and for the faith. For those who are interested in learning more about yourself and your own tendency and strengths and shortcomings, we're going to offer a 10-week class starting the beginning of October on the Enneagram, 
which is this really amazing tool that helps us to learn more about ourselves so that we could become more like Jesus. And if you want to grow in your faith in a community of others, we're going to be offering more virtual groups this year. We currently have a really amazing virtual group that meets uh, on Zoom, but we're going to invite many more of you to join uh, a virtual group this year. Or maybe some of you want to grow in your faith by also serving and caring for others or by making disciples. You may have noticed that I haven't yet talked about the most famous verses in this section here. Verse 19 through 20, it says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. When you become a disciple of Jesus, he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. But some of you might feel really uncomfortable with that word, go and make disciples. It sounds like, okay, we need to go and indoctrinate people with all of our beliefs and scream at them with all the things that they need to know about Jesus. But as I've been reading these verses over and over again with the understanding that Jesus knowingly invites imperfect people, these verses sound more like this. Go and let everyone you know that they have a seat at the table. Tell them that I love and care for every doubting, imperfect, broken, and hurting person. When I was younger, I too used to think of the command to go and make disciples as this urgent need to teach everyone what is right and wrong. And yes, there's there a certain part of learning from Jesus that means learning about him and what he teaches. But even if you look at Jesus' life, the way he made disciples was done um, in a very different way from the teachers of his day. The way Jesus makes disciples is by getting on his knees and washing and cleansing their dirty feet. He made disciples not just by teaching them, but showing his love and care for the marginalized and those who were completely forgotten by people during that time period. That is how Jesus makes disciples. And so I also invite you to make disciples this year in our online campus by loving and caring for others as Jesus did. And for us in the online campus, we're going to have opportunities to make disciples and care for others digitally. As the pastor of the online campus, I really believe that digital tools are imperative for the future of disciple making in the church. In some ways, being online gives us even more opportunities to disciple creatively and care for others in ways that we may have never thought of before. I want to tell you actually about someone who's been doing just that, thinking of creative ways to make disciples and care for others online. James Arrigo is a, is a friend of mine that I actually talked about in our Christmas service this past year. But I recently just got an opportunity to volunteer and witness the power of digital discipleship a few weeks ago. James has been working with childhood cancer kids from around the country. And last year, he started a, virtu a special virtual camp for kids who are going through this unthinkably difficult time in their lives. And this year, he sent them all these virtual reality headsets. And every single day, these kids would gather together on Zoom to hang out and have fun virtual escape rooms or to have a magician do a Zoom magic show and then gather together in this virtual reality space to do amazingly creative things. Here's just a small example of what we did on one of those days. 
We made these custom Nike sneakers in a virtual reality sneaker laboratory in the metaverse. That looks sick. <laughs> We're running a virtual camp for kids and teens impacted by pediatric cancer from all over the country. And we got to team up with Project Outrun to bring their sneaker ideas to real life. Each one of you all are getting custom uh, Nike by you sneakers that we're all going to design as a team. And then they're, they're going to actually get mailed to your house and you're going to get to keep them. So um, cool. And you can wear them looking fresh as every day or you can mount them on the shoe mount there that we sent. That's just going to be a little bit of a fun experience that we're doing. Isn't this such an incredible and innovative way to use digital tools to love and care for others? This is discipleship in a digital age, creating sneaker designs and laughing with other children going through cancer across the country. In fact, after this camp, one of the students shared this comment to my friend James. Uh, he said, for the past two years, I haven't been able to play with other kids which means that this has been a very fun experience playing with kids in VR. Let the other kids know that this helped us. That's the power of digital discipleship. And so for us in the online campus, that's the kind of vision I feel like God has given us. My friends, Jin and Dave behind the camera, my friend Leah, the pastor of digital ministry, we really believe that God has given us an opportunity to learn and care for people in the online space. So I invite you to innovate with us this year as we think about new and creative ways to serve and make disciples in the online world. For these next few months, we're really trying to build a foundation for what I hope the online campus can become. And I invite all of you who are interested in helping to serve, ID, and create to join us on this journey. In fact, if you want to learn more and if you want to participate, you can join us tonight as we gather together in our online campus vision gathering. There will be a Zoom meeting tonight from 6 o'clock to 7.30 Eastern Time. And I will be there to share with you more about the vision for our online campus this year. But I also want to hear from all of you too. So if you have ideas, go to the website at grace.org slash vision 2022. Scroll down to the central slash online um, uh, link and click on the registration link and join us in our online vision gathering tonight. And if you feel like, hey, I don't know if this is for me. I want to remind you that the invitation from Jesus is not like these other institutions. It isn't about what you can bring to the table. It's not about what you have to offer or what you've accomplished or done before. The invitation to learn and to grow from Jesus and to serve is for all of us who doubt. It's for all of us who are lost. It's for all of us who don't feel like they're the best Christians or don't even consider themselves to be Christians. Jesus invites all of us to a place of growing and learning and caring for others together. And so would you join us as we journey together as an online campus and becoming more like this gracious and beautiful and loving Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us tools and opportunities to grow together as an online campus, to learn from you and to learn more of you and to serve others through online and through digital ways. I pray that you would help us this year to get a vision for what that looks like. Would you help us to see the possibilities of what it looks like to care and to love others 
God, I ask that if there are, are some of us who might feel inadequate or who might feel like they're not the kind of person that you might accept into your, uh, into your family, into your arms, I pray that they would see the heart that you have for people who are imperfect, who might feel imperfect, that you are someone who invites and welcomes them into your family. And so would we have seen that through this story? Would we see the graciousness, the loving kindness that you exhibit time and time again? And would we learn more from that God who loves us in that way? We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.